0: In the last two seasons of Beyond Retail, we explored how retail has adapted and evolved in the face of societal and technological change. We learned how luxury goods brands and high street retailers overcame the challenges of lockdowns. We heard how platforms have evolved to meet the needs of increasingly tech-savvy customers. And we discovered what loyalty really means for businesses and consumers. But it's not just our shops that have undergone drastic change in recent years. In fact, The food and beverage world has arguably witnessed some of the greatest evolution in recent years, and it's poised to transform even further as a host of new unprecedented challenges emerge.
1: The great thing about food and beverage is that there's so many varied experiences depending on the type of uh, food and beverage venue that you're at, whether you're at a quick service restaurant, fast casual, or proper sit down. And what we find is that there's different innovations happening in all of those different forums.
0: This is Beyond Retail, the show that helps businesses make sense of the emerging trends and technological developments within the ever-changing landscape of the retail and hospitality industries. I'm your host, Marie Keyworth. In this season, we explore the food and beverage industry's tastes for change. We investigate how the sector has adapted amidst the challenges of a post-COVID society and how it's continuing to evolve in response to new societal pressures and changes. In today's episode, we reflect on the past and present of the food and beverage industry and what key aspects are important today. In the last five years, the retail industry has undergone rapid change. But nowhere is the evidence of change more prominent than in the food and beverage sector. Lockdowns and social distancing measures meant that restaurants had to get creative in order to keep businesses running. Establishments that previously didn't offer delivery started appearing on delivery platforms. And some restaurants even developed their own apps, allowing for advanced ordering. Indeed, over the last half decade, it seemed that whether you were a fast food giant or a local cafe, the price of survival was evolution. So with all these changes to both retail and food and beverage, it makes us wonder which segment has seen the most change.
2: Food and beverage. I think there has been so many new concepts coming up. There are so many new options that wasn't there before.
1: Food and beverage, I would say. Just with a lot of the creativity that, that they're doing, with different things that you would never even think of.
0: Well, I work in retail, so I should say that. But I think it's food and beverage in the last couple of years. I actually think retail is struggling because there's so much online, it's hard to find innovation on the high street, whereas there's just so many more options and it's branched out so much more in the food industry. And here to help us understand how food and beverage and retail have evolved side by side is Adyen's Global Head of Unified Commerce, Brian Demir.
1: So much of retail technology is about how to enable that whole journey from sort of Knowing about the product, discovering the product, interacting with it, and then ultimately buying it. Food and beverage has that same journey, but it's generally very condensed. Wanting to eat is a very carnal thing. You're doing it with quite a bit of purpose. So a lot of the focus of the retail experience is about the touching, the experiencing, the human touch, etc., And increasingly, really, what the food and beverage experience is about is about efficiency, effectiveness. How can you, as quickly as possible, get the thing that you want? Uh, And so much technology is being introduced now around speed of getting that consumer what they want.
0: Speed is a key challenge when it comes to food and beverage. Unlike shopping for new tech or clothes, consumers don't always have the luxury of time to compare different options. The entire experience, from decision to purchase, needs to happen much more quickly because patience rarely triumphs over hunger. But speed isn't the only challenge F&B businesses have to contend with. In fact, over the last few years, the industry has faced plenty of hurdles.
1: Retail had its transformative moment even before COVID, I would argue, where the expectation of the consumer was, hey, I want to be able to buy online and pick up in store. I want to click and collect. I want to do all these things. It really took COVID to entirely change the expectation around the food and beverage experience, in particular around these digital flows, the rise of the delivery apps, for example, as well as just a general expectation that I have sort of a digital first experience with the brand more generally. And this is an entire industry that was not really focused on that. They were focused on other things, right? Quality of their menu, quality of the products, quality of training and of associates. And these are all still very important things but especially after COVID, the expectation of the digital experiences you have with these brands really shifted. And that really varies on the experience, right? From the example we talked about, quick service restaurant, where it's almost entirely becoming digitized. But now there's almost an expectation, even in more of a high end, you know, I have an expectation now as a consumer that I'm going to have a very good human interaction with my server, but I I want to be able to pay whenever I want at the very end. So you start seeing different tools used in different contexts. And Instead of it being about eliminating the human experience, it's how can we take those people who are in the restaurant and put them towards more value-adding activities that the consumer appreciates.
0: Just as COVID prompted retail brands across the board to rethink their digital capabilities and experiences, it drove restaurants, cafes and fast food chains to follow suit. And according to AGN Research, this investment in improving operations has left 46% of businesses surveyed feeling better positioned to take on future challenges. But coming out of the pandemic, these new tech systems and improved journeys have raised the expectations of customers. Meaning that if F&B brands want to continue to match the improved experiences across retail, they need to find ways to use tech to allow them to better utilize their best service asset, their staff. However, not every consumer is after the red carpet treatment every time they go for a meal. And this is where fast food restaurants really show off their innovation skills.
1: The great thing about food and beverage is that there's so many varied experiences depending on the type of uh, food and beverage venue that you're at. Whether you're at a quick service restaurant, fast casual or proper sit down. And what we find is that there's different innovations happening in all of those different forums. If we just dial in on quick service restaurant for a second, because I personally find that that's where possibly some of the most innovation is happening, a lot of it is around how do you actually reduce human interaction and speed up that very transactional experience. The two most interesting, I would say, would be kiosks as well as the drive-through flow. Really just five years ago, maybe even earlier, three years ago, your option would have been go up to the counter and you're probably going to pay with card or cash. And now you've got the confluence of kiosk, in-app order ahead, in-app order in restaurant, in-app order through drive-thru, and it's all becoming a very digital experience, right? There's multiple brands where now you just identify yourself with a four-digit code in the drive-thru, for example, your card is automatically charged on file, and it automatically connects to all of your reward experience, So really, I think the most innovation is happening around how to make that experience more efficient, more effective, and more technological driven. And I think that's an indication of the overall trend line in the industry.
0: And as Brian mentioned, apps and other technologies aren't just allowing customers to order and purchase food faster. They're helping food and beverage retailers recognize their patrons. This is just one of the few new expectations customers have of their favorite restaurants.
1: There's now an expectation from the consumer that they are recognized seamlessly between channels. So if I go up to the counter versus ordering an app versus drive through versus whatever flow before the consumer was kind of okay with, Okay, I get it. You kind of see me as actually three consumers across these three areas as the smartest and most tech forward brands are really combining that the consumer is noticing. And there's really that expectation that everything ties together, I think. That's a very important element to keep in mind. Next to that, I mean, when you talk about sort of the expectation of delivery, a very important trend in the industry right now is can the consumer be convinced to actually go to that brand's app ecosystem instead of to that delivery app? And of course, both have value. The delivery apps would say, we give wide distribution, we're a one-stop shop, we're an easily recognizable brand, and we bring you consumers that wouldn't normally kind of call you on the phone, and that's absolutely true. But for some brands who have a very, very intensive relationship with their consumers, they're starting to become a trend of the first thing that you open is that brand's app. And so now, that presents a whole challenge, which is, okay, well then, do you do delivery yourself? which is a tried-and-true model of all the pros and cons, but also those delivery partners are starting to have sort of white-label capabilities. But now brands are needing to connect the dots between them. And do I connect to one or multiple? And then importantly, how is there an exchange of funds? And this is a whole area that these brands didn't need to think about before, you know that COVID and the uh, onset of delivery has really forced that question.
0: But installing self-order kiosks, adopting new ordering and payment platforms, and finding ways to recognize customers at every touchpoint is no mean feat. Before even reaching the onboarding phase, brands need to do some serious soul-searching to work out which technologies are right, not just for them, but for their customers too.
1: The main challenges of the food and beverage industry are generally no different than other industries, which is, have you understood as a brand and as a company, that you're on a journey of digital transformation. Because many companies will say it, but then they don't make the important decisions in terms of how they structure themselves, where they focus their time and their talent and their efforts around that. And the brands that do that, they really figure it out. But it took taking their company and saying, okay, how do we need to restructure this? Whereas really forward-thinking organizations, they really see it as one holistic experience, and then there's just different technologies that enable those. Next to that, however, because of that previously fragmented approach, it's very common that the underlying technology is really fragmented because you've got the super legacy stuff like handling cash that's been there forever, the super new winged thing like AI-driven ordering. But we talk a lot about this phrase, unified commerce, and payments is one piece of the overall question, which is, are your systems built with the idea in mind that it's channel agnostic? So it really then comes down to, are you signing up for a transformation in your organization, and are you going to invest in it appropriately? Because the one thing that the new upstart brands have is they don't have that legacy. They can start that way from day one, But the really smart boards and leaders and C-suite folks, they realize that the moment is now to make that transformation because otherwise the new starts that don't have that legacy to deal with, it'll be impossible to catch up.
0: Even for the most basic implementations, successful tech adoption almost always requires some level of buy-in from at least several business areas. But there's one technology we've discussed a lot over the last two seasons that needs to be embraced a lot more wholeheartedly and universally throughout a brand, and that's unified commerce.
1: Yeah, so unified commerce should be a win-win for the consumer and for the company. The more often you're able to tie together that experience, the theory is basically that ticket size goes up, and and the studies do show that, right? The more you're able to identify users consistently across sessions, and therefore give them relevant um, suggestions and experiences, they will simply spend more. And that's great for the company, that's good for their bottom line, but then it's also good for the consumer as well. But when it comes to other optimizations within the business, the better you understand your customers, the better you're going to run your organization. For example, when you think through saturation of coverage with your restaurant locations, and whether or not you want to open an additional one, many, many food and beverage brands do not have visibility on all of their customers. They have probably really good data on one, but not on the other. And they're never looking at the whole picture. A story that resonates with me is uh, there was a pizza brand that was only doing analytics on their in-store purchases, and they were making decisions on like you know their college town locations and whether or not they needed a second one. Well, I can guarantee you that 19-year-olds are not walking into that pizza location very often. You know, They're ordering on their app. So I think the more you understand your consumers, the more you're putting that into one place and you're painting one picture of them, also the more effective you're gonna be as a business on all of your various business planning that you do.
0: Even though the work required to adopt unified commerce is a little more involved than other implementations, the rewards it offers are greater. It allows food and beverage businesses to understand, react to, and even predict consumer behaviour, helping them to refine goals and strategies. And this is probably why 30% of F&B brands surveyed now sell via unified commerce. But unified commerce doesn't just help to shape the big picture ideas. It's even helping frontline staff in restaurants in their day-to-day
1: roles too. Many, many brands want that human touch and they want that human experience. And technology can enable that. And this really comes down to are you painting a picture of that consumer and then are you enabling to that associate the ability to have that amazing experience, right? Like it's not directly food and bed, but I'll, I'll never, ever forget it. The second time I flew Emirates Airlines, the flight attendant came up to me and said, we remember from last time that you like reading the New York Times and you drink Coke Zero, so here you go, Mr. Demir. I'm a customer for life. And frankly, when you think of hospitality brands that are at that level, it's still few and far in between. It's your St. Regis's, it's your Emirates, it's those. And the reason why they're able to do it, going back to my previous comment, is they made the cultural decision as an organization to focus on it, but then they made the technological capabilities to do it. Because underneath that is a unified commerce systems that connects the dot, which connects to a CRM, which connects to the associate, and tells them how to make an amazing experience for that person.
0: Unified commerce has both long-term and short-term applications. Over longer periods of time, it gathers data to make sense of macro trends, helping organizations understand what their next move should be. But in day-to-day use, it helps them recognize smaller consumer behaviors, enabling personalized experiences and recommendations. But whether you're a quick-serve restaurant or a high-end eating establishment, there's always a way to leverage unified commerce.
1: Different businesses have different goals, and it's a spectrum from very human-centric experiences to increasingly technological and efficient experiences, unified commerce has a part to play across all of those, whether it's enabling the magic of that human experience on one end of the spectrum or enabling the efficiency of the experience in the other. And frankly, many brands want to straddle all of them because you've got one consumer type who wants to be in and out and another who wants to be delighted that day. And the one argument that I would make is that, you know, Unified Commerce has a part to play across that whole spectrum and therefore is really relevant for any brand.
0: One area of the food and beverage industry that's undergone rapid transformation in recent years is the takeaway sector. Although the weekend takeaway has been a staple for years, over the course of the pandemic, the number of restaurants that either started offering their own delivery service or signed up to a delivery platform boomed. And in the midst of a cost-of-living crisis, many are still turning to the takeaway as a cheaper alternative to dining out. One person who's perfectly positioned to explain a bit more about the evolution of our beloved takeaway industry is Marketing Director for Just Eat for Business, Shane Mansfield.
2: The takeaway market is is very much like a lot of markets. It's had um, some unusual figures coming out around the pandemic. But generally speaking from a trend point of view, Over the last 10 years, I think it's grown by around 4 billion. So it continues to see healthy growth. I think it's looking at about 3% predicted growth this year from last year. Given all of the macro conditions we're seeing, it's always good to see.
0: So with the market growing by 4 billion pounds in the last decade, and with it set to grow by another 3% over the year, what do these numbers translate to in terms of customers and orders?
2: In 2021, Just Eat itself managed to hit the one billion order milestone. It was a very exciting time to actually get to a billion orders actually delivered. So that was a huge milestone and just sort of underpins the amount of people that actually utilise platforms like Just Eat and the technology it provides. And in 2022, so we had, I think it was just more than 90 million active consumers on the platform. There are some uh, of our European markets that are in there as well. But 90 million active consumers on Just Eat platforms across 2022 just kind of gives you the size and scope of, of how many people are actually on the platform and using it. And how it's become common practice to use platforms like Just Eat to really make that ordering easier. And it it's become something that is ingrained behavior for people wanting takeaway.
0: While takeaway orders are proving to be a healthy source for restaurants' profits, a large proportion of their business is still comprised of seated guests. So in the wake of the pandemic disrupting consumer habits and with the nation trying their best to cope with the pressures of the cost of living crisis, what does the ratio of in-restaurant versus takeaway dining look like?
2: What we do know is that It's in the region of about nine to 10 million people visiting restaurants every year, but those people then visit for multiple occasions. So that number of people will visit, but they might visit a restaurant two or three times a month. And that will include things like picking up coffee or breakfast and taking away versus pure eating. I think the average person visits restaurants anywhere from three to eight times a month. So that 10 million people when you multiply it up by the number of times they visit a month and then the number of months, it it gets quite large quite quickly. So again, what we've seen is that the restaurant partner side of the business, it's really important for us to make sure that's healthy as well because platforms such as Just Eat don't exist without a healthy restaurant partner scene. So we stay close to how they're going and, and try and support them as much as possible from a consumer side experience.
0: Even with the boom in takeaway orders, and 70% of food and beverage brands surveyed now selling via a website, it's clear that the dining-in experience is here to stay. However, that's not to say that our favourite restaurants and cafes aren't going to change and adapt in order to accommodate the increase in takeaway popularity. In fact, for many food and beverage businesses, these changes have already taken place.
2: I think it's changed over the years. I think it's been a a fairly dramatic change as well and you can see that just by the way that restaurants themselves are changing their behaviors and changing how the in-store experience exists with your delivery drivers being being funneled in maybe in different queues the rise of automation within the industry so that they can allow more people to be uh, back of house and actually deliver those fulfill those orders And then I think there is also, it's also worth noting that it does change per location. So your behaviour at a um, high street or drive-through QSR will be completely different to, say, one you would have in a shopping centre where actually there is a food court and there is still, you know, an experience and ritual of people using it as a congregation. So I think restaurants are the best indicator is to look at how the restaurants themselves have changed. And you can see in the way that they have developed their space to focus on that and I would say, although it's hard to pin down those exact numbers, I think takeaway delivery is becoming much, much more important and prevalent for them.
0: Change is happening in our restaurants. Whether it's in response to crises like the pandemic or changing consumer attitudes, the industry looks set to continue its evolution. And in the current climate, there are plenty of challenges that the food and beverage industry are looking to overcome.
2: Whatever time period you look at, there are always challenges for delivery, for restaurants, for any type of industry or or sector. I think right now you hear cost of living a lot at the moment, but I think it goes beyond that. There are multiple different cost lines that are under pressure from a delivery and restaurant partner perspective. And that rise of costs across that sector is related very much to supply. So there's there's a huge amount of supply issues with food and goods being able to get into the country and get to them when they need them. The cost of energy, the cost of, of running a business from um, the electricity and gas needed to actually create the food to then having the lights on in the first place and having a safe environment for your staff and obviously making sure that the staff are looked after. I think those three prongs of... Costs all rising at the same time, which is unprecedented in, in sort of recent years, is incredibly challenging for delivery and restaurant partners because it's one of them's difficult to overcome, but three of them at once is much more challenging. From an ESG point of view, I think that is a really interesting one, actually. And I think as consumers, we've all become more aware of our impact on the environment. That could be from single use plastics to opting to go for uh, vegan food. And I think actually it's being driven by consumers and we are making more considered choices ourselves. And I think restaurant partners, if they respond to that, then I think it's something that will evolve the industry as opposed to be a a threat to it. So that could be the rise of electronic vehicles, especially in um, urban environments where it's lots of short stops. They're also seeing that change in behaviour driven by consumers that are looking for, you know, more environmentally sound ways for their for their meals to be packaged. And then also, you know, changing the way they eat and focusing on those non-meat alternatives.
0: So even with cost and supply chain pressures, it seems one of the key driving factors for change could be consumers' own concern for environmental, social and governance factors, or ESG for short. With that in mind, What elements will food and beverage businesses need to focus on in the future to ensure they keep in step with consumer attitudes?
2: People will want value, they'll want ease of use, and they'll want that relevancy, that that, that ability to make sure they're getting relevant items that are interesting to them. I think the cost of living, we will eventually see that stabilise, but whilst it's a bit tumultuous, I think people will be looking more at value and they'll be looking at their behaviour and how they do it. And then I also think we talked a bit about um, ESG as well. That's going to become more prevalent, but it will be driven by that consumer choice. So I think it is important for restaurant partners and takeaways to keep an eye on that and make sure they're addressing that because the consumer will, they will make that decision. And if if you haven't adapted to provide that offering, they might decide to go elsewhere. So I think it will... Always come down to um, the consumer perspective itself, and that that will be, you know, a healthy choice at a fair cost. That will continue to be important for the experience, and, and making sure that it feels good from a consumer point of view. When when you are a consumer, and you know you know you're having a treat uh, like a takeaway something um, that you do as a family or as a group, as a tradition. You also want to make sure that everyone as part of that value chain is looked after properly as well. And I think that's becoming more important for more consumers as they become more aware of that entire chain that delivers that food.
0: Though these macro trends look set to shape the future of our restaurant and takeaway habits, for now it seems that price is still one of the biggest immediate concerns for consumers.
3: Well, as a student, I would say that I don't eat out as much. <laughs> I don't have as much money. Well, the last six months, we, we don't go out much to eat at all because uh, we prepare a lot of meals at home, genuine from the ground. We love making food at home. So I'd rather do that. And uh, since everything is just so expensive, so
0: it's easier and cheaper to prepare your own food at home. If we have the money there, we'll just we go out and we have dinners or go out and grab whatever we want to get. But for us, it hasn't massively
2: changed.
0: Now, we've heard a lot about the macro view of the food and beverage industry, discussing the big picture implications of global pandemics, societal change and national financial crises. But what effects are influences like these having at the ground level? Here to tell us about the changes to the industry in recent years and to give us an insight into the reality of life as a restaurateur in the face of these pressures is chef, broadcaster and award-winning food writer Gizzy Erskine.
3: There's obviously the very clear ones which have been handed to us through Brexit and Covid which have been losing staff to go back to Europe or, or further afield. I think that's been such a huge hit for us. I'd say that eight out of 10 of my problems definitely came down to staffing issues always. When I first started, there was a different type of grit and determination that I also had. There was definitely a different sort of side to the industry, which was far more militant. And I think that a lot of people have changed that for the better. But I also feel like there's a side to it where you're constantly managing the potential problems that could come because of this new modern outlook and actually I just want everyone to get involved in their job I don't think you know I don't think many people want more than that if you're a restaurant owner or even just management or whatever you know that's really what you want from yourself somebody who's dedicated keen invested
0: passionate you know all of those things and the challenges surrounding staffing is something we'll be diving more into a little bit later in our series but as a restaurateur. What did Gizzy find to be some of the biggest pressures in the food and beverage industry? I have had businesses in Margate, in Scotland, in Edinburgh
3: and in um, Birmingham. And really specifically what I know is the London scene. And what's really interesting is that the money seems to be going really in at the high end at the moment. I mean, all restaurants are suffering. Like, I don't think anyone is absolutely killing it at the moment. I think there are definitely people who are far more advanced and pushing ahead, but... You know, it's a weird time for everyone, you know, people spending money. And the fact is that we have all had to put our prices up because of the cost of living has gone up, the cost of food has gone up, you know, the cost of transportation has gone up. It's like everything is expensive now. I mean, I was out supermarket shopping yesterday and I did a supermarket shop that I know I could have got for 35 quid that I spent about 70 pounds on. I really feel like everything sort of doubled. And I think, unfortunately, what people don't understand is that In order to make a business run, we have to run it at 70% GP. And if we don't, then the business fails. Now, that has to be accumulated from all of the back-end stuff. And I don't think a lot of people really fully grasp the critical side of making the business work, as well as giving everyone the most amazing experience and amazing food and all of those things. You know, I think I was definitely... Because I pulled out of my restaurants last year in March. And up to that point, I was really pushing... All of my ethics, which were cooking with sustainable, local, organic, slow food ingredients, um, stuff that was giving back to regenerative agriculture, all of this stuff, all of my morals were, were definitely in all of my food. Now, there is definitely a, a way to meet both of those things. You know, now I think I was far too focused on really some of the best farmers in the in the country and real integrity. And unfortunately, that really does come with a price. And again, then you put it into your GPs and it. You know, it just makes it untenable because, you know, for me, for one example, was a cafe in Margate that I wanted to do traditional British food where I was wanted to do like a proper mixed grill. And that's a £27 breakfast. You've got a cafe next door who doesn't have the same ideas about ingredients, but has maybe better ideas about community and and understanding the space and, you know, what people really want to be putting their money into and can afford to put their
0: money into You know, and I think sometimes it's hard to read that. Consumers have certainly felt the pinch in recent months, seeing their usual supermarket shops skyrocket in price. But it can be easy to forget that the same cost hikes affect restaurant suppliers just as much as our local grocers, making it difficult for restaurants to balance quality, sustainability and affordability. However, it could be a challenge worth tackling. Especially as Adian's research has shown that 66% of respondents say they'd be willing to spend more at restaurants with good sustainability credentials. So what needs to change in order for restaurants to deliver the standards of food consumers are asking for?
3: One of the things I would have liked to have said coming straight out of COVID and Brexit would be there'd be some amazing properties that were really affordable. But from what I understand at the moment, it's still that hard. Like even for landlords, it's really hard. I feel like the sort of question should go out to landlords over anyone, which is landlords should be more open-minded than they are, I guess. And we should be able to give better prices, better holidays, better breaks, all of those sort of base structures, which would allow the restaurants to flourish. Because, you know, I've seen uh, sites that have had two or three restaurants over the last three years. And you think that's not working probably because of the base ground rental level. It would be nice to find a space within that, the work for everyone. The, the thing that's going to make restaurants move just full stop are affordable rates, affordable rents, affordable food, good quality staff and great quality cooking. You know, those are the five key things that are going to make anything successful.
0: Rents have long been regarded as a pressure for all businesses, not just restaurants. And it's something we've heard before on Beyond Retail. Because affordable rents don't just keep the overheads down for existing restaurants. They encourage new local businesses to set up shop closer to home, which can help revive high streets, support local economies and foster a stronger community. And this is something that Gizzy is already seeing happen.
3: The thing that has been really positive over the last few years is people being more confident with their local area. You know, for a long time, businesses were really pushing for getting into the West End or getting into so- uh, Shoreditch or Soho like that's kind of always been the restaurant ambition whereas now you know you've got people I mean I live in Dalston and you've got Orange and Pappy and Grat even down the road we've got loads on our doorstep right here and that is because we have affordable rents but we also have a very open customer base who really want to be supporting the industry but also want to be staying local and that's that is exciting, and that's where we we should be probably pushing the m- people more now. I think it's good to see young fresh talent being able to fit into that structure. Really, the, so that is exciting. You know, I was at um, a restaurant called Behind the other day, and that's sort of like your old school nineteen nineties high end Michelin West End quality food. That's just literally in an area just off London Fields, which is perfect. And
0: it's kind of how I like to see the development of this area, you know. Over the course of this episode, our guests have given us an insight into the challenges and circumstances that have shaped the food and beverage industry in recent years. And as with the different sectors of retail we've explored in previous seasons, it's clear that food and beverage is more than resilient enough to continue to evolve and grow as trends and pressures change. We've heard how unified commerce is poised to deliver customised and relevant journeys to both restaurant and takeaway diners. How businesses are more easily able to take advantage of delivery platforms to appeal to a rapidly expanding user base. And how new restaurants have an opportunity to avoid the high business rates associated with metropolitan locations by instead setting up shop more locally to meet environmentally conscious consumers. As we continue through this season... learn more about how this industry is being shaped and which direction it could be heading. But before we find out what the future has in store for food and beverage retail, we'll need to take a closer and more creative look at restaurants to understand the crucial role design and space plays in our favorite eateries.
1: A restaurant design or restaurant experience is, is about feeling. It's about What are you trying to communicate? What are you trying to make people feel? A restaurant experience, I always say, is the ultimate brand expression because you get to utilize all of the senses. You get to utilize taste, smell, touch, feel, sound. It's everything. Not many brands are able to do that. Not many industries are able to do that, to touch on all of those things.
0: That's next time on Beyond Retail. You've been listening to Beyond Retail. I'm your host, Marie Keyworth. If you want to find out more about the topics discussed on today's episode, visit adyen.com or follow the link in the show notes. A big thank you to our contributors, Brian Demir, Shane Mansfield and Gizzy Erskine. And join us next time as we discuss space and the importance of design in our favourite restaurants. I'll see you then.